Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you ideas for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you should avoid collecting excessive amounts of anything and why it's tough when worlds collide. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, I don't think I've said it lately, but I feel very happy that I've got you as my own personal happiness bully. So thank you um, on an ongoing basis for that. Well, thank you for allowing me to... um to experiment on you from time to time. <laughs> now, Gretch, a while back, we talked about the fact that you wanted to have a good summer, yeah. that you wanted your summer to feel different from the rest of the year, um, and you were not prone to do that. So I said at the time, well, I'm going to check in with you closer to summer and see what you've got cooking for summer. Mm. Uh, so that time has come. So, you know, we're past spring break. Everyone's thinking about summer. I know I have enormous anxiety about like what camps and activities (laughs) to sign Jack up for. I've done nothing, by the way, um, because I'm frozen. But what have you done to plan your summer? Well, I've worked on, speaking of like kids summer versus adult summer, I've done a lot of work on my kids summers, but I really, and I have, but I have not done enough about my own summer. And you're right to call me on it because I want to be thinking about it now when summer is coming up and I don't want to wait until, you know, I'm halfway through the summer to start pondering it. But <laughs> I, I mean, I was thinking, what do I want my summer? I, I really envy people where their summers are very different from their winters and because it just feels like it's more life, like you have a whole different experience. And since I'm a writer who works for myself, I really do have a lot of flexibility. So I could set up my routine, my daily routine, my my, my situation in a very different way in the summer. And I just never do. I Like you say, I just always have it be exactly like the rest of my year. And then I regret it later because I'm like, I should have done something cool with my summer. But I have to say, I'm kind of stalled out about what it would be. Um, I don't really want to like move mm-hmm. to a different place, you know, for a month or two. Um, but maybe, maybe it's a different way of s- structuring my days. Maybe I want to like shake it up differently or, or, or just... I don't know if anybody has any ideas about how to approach a summer or how to think about changing your routine just so you feel like you have a different life for a while. I would love to hear it because I, I feel like this is something I'm glad you reminded me because this is something that I need to think through more. Yeah, you know, what's interesting when you were doing the happiness project, you had all these distinctive sets of time where you're yeah. like this month, I'm, mm. you know, taking a drawing class and this month I'm doing yoga or whatever it was. I don't think that was one of them. But um, now you don't have that. So it's, you know, it's like, cause I would, you've kind of tried a bunch of stuff you wanted to try and cause trying something would be an obvious thing to do during the summer. But I don't feel like you have anything outstanding that you're dying to do. No, but you know, but you're right though. I did have like the month of, you know, marriage and the month of reading and all that. Maybe, maybe I should think of like, well, what, like I kind of like I could have a month of lunch dates where I just like, cause I've had this whole group of people that I'm like, ah. I would love to see them for lunch. And, and maybe in the summer it does feel a little bit looser. Maybe I could have like the month of lunch dates where I just reconnect with a bunch of people and really try to have a lunch date every day because 
I could do that if I wanted to, you know, or or yeah. maybe like the month of um, the library because I love going to the library and I tend to go, I don't go every single day, but maybe like if I was like, I'm really going to go every single day, that would shape that month. It would really give it a different flavor. I like that. Maybe I was feeling too overwhelmed by the summer. It felt too long to deal with because you're right in the happiness project that worked really well to give it kind of a special focus. Um, and and it was, it's sort of like what's fun for you versus I think maybe you were feeling like you needed, needed to be too summery, like yes. go sailing or something. Yes. Whereas to you, going to the library <laughs> is a fun summer activity. It, right. Maybe that's the thing. You're exactly right. Like you have this idea, we should be playing tennis or, you know, and you're like, oh, but I hate tennis and I can't play tennis or whatever. We should be playing board. We should be doing thousand piece puzzles in the dining room table. And it's like, oh, but I hate doing puzzles, you know. So this is, okay, you've given me much food for thought. Okay, I'm going to ponder what would make the summer fun for me and how do I pump that up? Okay, I will get back to you. Excellent. Thank you for that reminder. That's really, really helpful as we, mm -hmm. as we head into the summer months. Now, I have to say, Alyssa, this is a try this at home tip. I think we need a catchier phrase for it. So, um, but the idea of the try this at home tip is don't keep excessive amounts of stuff, uh, which is awkward, but an important point. Uh -huh. um, you know, when, when you're getting mass quantities of something building up, stop that. Yeah, I think there's certain items that everyone feels like you can't have enough of. Like, I know for me, it's like soy sauce packets. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I'm very like miserly with my soy sauce packets, um, especially the green ones, the low salt. Mm. And I could have a drawer full of soy sauce packets from, you know, 2010. <laughs> um, but it's like it never feels like enough because you never know when you need soy sauce. Well, um, on exactly this point, um, the packets, um, when when my daughter Eliza was in kindergarten, they did this project, like, you know how like a lot of kindergartens, they have these these hundred day things where they, they really celebrate yes. the hundredth day of school. It's kind of like a trend yeah, in kindergarten. Yeah, did that. Yeah. So as part of the hundred day celebration, they had to do some kind of uh, like make a like an exhibit of something of a hundred somethings. And one child did an exhibit that involved a hundred ketchup packets. And I was saying to the mm -hmm. girl's mom, I'm like, man, you know, you must have really scrambled around to get a hundred ketchup packets because I figured she was like asking all her friends and everything. Give me your ketchup packets. She goes, oh, my gosh. Now, we have like hardly even scraped the surface. We got like a million <laughs> ketchup packets back at home. And you're like at a certain point. You don't need yeah. to, but, and this is what I hate about the excessive amounts of things is there are often things that feel useful or feel like they're too valuable to be thrown away. And yet they're not, it's not worth it to keep it because they take up so much time and kind of mental space to deal with them. So what do you do? It's very frustrating because you don't, you hate to throw away like basically an entire bottle's worth of good ketchup. And yet right. you running, you're running out of drawer space. And then you're right. They get old. And I mean, who wants a 10-year-old ketchup packet? What's also funny is just New York City apartments being the size that they are. Yes. It's like, you know, you really want to only keep the necessary items. Well, and I think that's almost a benefit of living in New York City is that people don't accumulate. They don't pack rat as much because they just simply don't have the space for it. Whereas somebody in the suburbs who's got like you know, two floors, a finished attic, a basement, and a garage. I mean, they can have a lot of stuff that they're just keeping. Like, I was reading in a, um, something about, uh, you know, cleaning. It was a, a woman talking about sort of the ordeal of going through her parents' house where they'd lived for 40 years. And she was saying yeah. that the number of, um, like, plastic 
you know, when you buy food and it's in a reusable plastic container and basically her parents yes. had kept every single reusable plastic container for the last, you know, 25 years. And like, what, why are you keeping them? But they don't, they feel like they could still be useful. So you don't want to throw them right. away. And yet, why are you, you can't, you can't use them. That reminds me of uh, Grandma Craft. Yeah. She kept um, all of her egg cartons. Mm hmm and also all of the tops of her aerosol cans so like the plastic tops mm, i don't and it's not that. that she was a big hoarder type like no. her her house was not filled with stuff no. or you know she didn't acquire a lot like it was all you know it was just in her garage she kept certain items milk uh, jugs egg ah. cartons and these plastic tops now i would use them to build craft projects ah. which was great yeah um, and maybe that's the only reason she kept them, but I don't know. Um, but I know she had a ton of those. Right, right, right. Well, I think maybe maybe this recycling helps with this because if you feel like you're recycling something, it doesn't feel as wasteful to put it out in recycling because you think, well, it can turn it into something else. Whereas if you're just throwing it away, it feels like it's utterly wasted. Um, I do feel like it's when it's food related, like the ketchup or the soy sauce, it feels worse to waste it. It feels like wasting wasting food feels particularly uncomfortable, I think. Well, especially when you know it can last for months. Yes. So it's not like a piece of fruit that's right. not going to last. I mean, a soy sauce packet a year from now, I can use that soy sauce packet. You know, maybe not 10 years, but a year. But so I had a brilliant, a brilliant solution to this recently, which I have to like give myself a gold star for, which is, so you know when you get um, a flower arrangement and it's in a, just a very basic glass vase, like sometimes you get like a yeah. super fancy one and it's like in a real vase that somehow, you know, worth keeping but a lot of times it's just a clear plastic vase that's like a circle or a square or whatever um but it seems too good to throw away or to re and, or even to recycle so you, i just have this shelf where i keep them and they were just mounting up they were all over the place and then i realized we live literally up the street half a block away from a flower shop mm. and so we're just giving them back to the flower shop and they can reuse them again as flower vases. That's great. Isn't that amazing? Okay, but the other problem is rubber bands. Because every day when we, because we live in this funny, weird building, all of our newspapers are rubber banded together. So sometimes one tenant will get the rubber bands and sometimes somebody else will get the rubber bands. But I've been like keeping the rubber bands because I'm like, it's useful to have rubber bands. Yeah. But now I'm like, I have a thousand rubber bands you know, and then they do really go bad and they snap and all that. So I'm like, at what point can I just throw away the rubber bands instead of keeping them? But they're perfectly good rubber bands. Well, I guess you think how many could you possibly need at a time? Ten. So it's right. like you should never keep more than ten. Oh, maybe. that's a good way of thinking about it. Right. Like, what is the maximum possible? It's like the flower need. vases. You're never going to need more than four. The, you know, the biggest party you have, I yes. doubt you're having, using more than four flower vases. Well, and I'm I like, certainly am never using more than one. I feel totally overwhelmed by like the need to put flowers into a vase. So it's hard for me to imagine that I, I, I would have two. Um, so I think this is one thing is to be very wary of things that you get for free because they can easily mount up if you're get. So you don't want to go out of your way to get things for free if you don't know that you're going to use them. Yes, and Gretchen, you'd be proud of me on this front. I was at Nordstrom's the other day, and they I saw that Lancome had a deal where if you spent $35, you got a little mini, um, you know, makeup bag with mm. all these free um, things in it, you know, a little uh, mini eye makeup remover, mini eye cream, all that kind of stuff. And I stopped, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is my chance to get all this free stuff. And then I said, no, ah. I'm not going to do it. 
Uh-huh. I'm going to keep walking, uh-huh. even though I could easily justify buying, you know, the face cream I need, which would then give me this stuff. I do not need this stuff. I do not want this stuff. And I kept walking. Yes. So you were in my ear. Oh, that's good. That's good. Because it's like you get at home and you're like, of all these things, there's only one thing that I actually use. And then what do I do with all the rest? It's perfectly good. Um, and we've talked about this. We've talked problem, about this. The problem, yes. Of the yes. free stuff. But so here's the one thing that I feel like I can't get enough of. And we have gigantic amounts of it. And I just welcome it, which is like those um, light canvas tote bags, which now is like the swag of choice that everybody gives you a free tote bag. I love that because I feel like it's so helpful to have like a tote bag that you can just give to somebody. Like when we were in mom, when I was at mom and dad's house, they were like, she was like, here, here's this tote bag. You can just take it on the plane. I don't need it back because it's just some lightweight, cheap tote bag, but they're so useful. And I feel like if you have enough, then you can just be, if somebody's over at your house and you're like, oh, you want to take this? Oh, I'll just put it in this little tote bag. Or you want to put your umbrellas in a tote bag? Well, just keep it. It's like, I feel like those are really I have like 30 of those and I like mm-hmm. having a lot of those and I keep them all that I get because I get rid of them just as fast. And I, so I, I embrace the cheap tote bag. Love the cheap tote bag. That reminds me, Gretchen, when I was in New York, I borrowed a bag from you. Yes. And the question is, is that a bag you want back? No. It's from one of the girls' camps. No, <laughs> no. I was wondering, I'm like, is this a giveaway kind of bag or is this a keep bag? So, you can, no, you can keep that one. You can keep that one. All right. And I bet sometime I'll be at your house and I'll need to put it in and you'll say, oh, 10 years ago, you gave me this bag. Now it's back to you. So um, no, that was a giveaway bag. No, it's handy because it's like bags are things that it seems like often walk out the door. Um, Well, so let us know. uh, First of all, do you have a snappier phrase for this? Because that would be good. But you get the point, which is don't keep excessive amounts of these things that tend to accumulate and uh, take up space and mental energy. Um, let us know what it is <laughs> that tends to accumulate in your house and how you get rid of it. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. So, Elizabeth, when you were in New York, um, you hit a happiness stumbling block. What, what, what was that? Well, Gretchen, it was worlds colliding. Ooh, um, yes, yeah. which can be quite a happiness stumbling block. Yeah. Um, you know, you kept saying, oh, I want to do an episode where Henry <laughs> and I visit you on the set. And I kept saying, yeah. I don't think people are interested in that. That's boring. <laughs> it's tedious. And you kept saying, no, I think they will be interested Um, And then I didn't realize until it was sort of approaching and even when you guys were there that I was having a lot of anxiety 
about the world's colliding aspect of you guys visiting me on set. Ah, yeah, because it's like, well, was it was it the, the 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 actual recording? So it was like two of your jobs were kind of colliding, or was it that like people from one part of your world were meeting people from another part of your world, or both? I think it was more of the doing two jobs at the same time. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, it was like, okay, I'm here and I'm supposed to be doing this job, but do I seem like a dilettante because I'm recording my podcast at the same time? <laughs> but also I value your time and Henry's time. And I didn't want you guys having to like hang around and wait a lot for me because I was doing my job. So I felt like um, I would need to balance these two things, you know? And then, yes, a lot of people on set, you know, they don't even know I have a podcast. Mm -hmm. So then here I am with my sister and the produ my producer. Trailing around after sort of you. saying <laughs> like, oh yeah, I have a podcast. It, you know, it was just awkward. Right. Um, it turned out fine. And it was really fun for you to get to meet people like Henry had never met Sarah. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, it was really fun. But at the same time, I was very glad when it was over. Yeah. Do you ever have this anxiety of worlds colliding? Yeah, you know, and I think part of it is also like being like two two parts of yourself simultaneously. Like you were being like somebody would ask like I would ask you a question from a po in a podcasty way and then somebody would kind of wander up to you and ask you a question in an executive producer way and it was you had to like switch from one part of your brain to another kind of like in a single conversation. And that's really, and I feel like that sometimes when I'm like in my writerly mode and I get an email from school where I have to go from like thinking with one part of my brain, mm -hmm. my writerly professional side to my like, my like, um, is, is Eleanor available for a play date on a Thursday afternoon? Right. It's just like, it's kind of it, 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 those worlds colliding. It's, it's taxing because it doesn't feel seamless. There's somehow some kind of like switching from one track to the next track that that can feel hard. And also, and also when people um, are colliding, like I feel like this this comes up for a lot of people at a wedding. Yes. Oh gosh. Where it's yeah. like you know high school friends meeting college friends meeting work friends and his friends and your friends and your family and your, you know, your partner's family. And yeah. And you have this desire for everyone to mix and get to know each other and all to become best friends. But what inevitably happens at a wedding is that all the high school friends talk to each <laughs> other, all the college friends talk to each other, all the work friends talk to each other. Nobody's that interested in talking to anybody else. They just want to talk to the people they know and like, yeah. and you, and you have this feeling like, Oh my gosh, people didn't even mix, you know, I failed as a bride because my worlds aren't now one big, you know, happy world together. So I do when I'm at a wedding, try to make an effort to introduce myself at least to a couple people. So I can say to the bride later, like, oh, I met your, you know, your friend from sixth grade. She's so cool. Oh, I'm so uh, bad. But I've it never, is stressful. I have never done that. I'm so impressed that you do that. I do not. I should do that. I do not do that at all. Um, but wait, so Henry, you've got a thought about worlds colliding. Oh, yeah. Tell me if you guys agree with this. I agree with everything you guys said, like the switching parts of your brain. But it's almost also like uh, switching part of your personality. When I have ah. like a high school friend or a college friend, for whatever reason, I'm not exactly the same yeah. person to each yeah. of them. Like, um, And it's not like I, I'm a con artist or I'm yeah. a liar. <laughs> but like, you know, you act a certain way around some friends yeah. and a certain way around other yeah. friends. And it's almost stressful to be like, well, which side do I yeah. show to this group that's now a mixture of the two? Yeah. 
A hundred percent. No, it is because you have your sort of your your different selves. And then you don't want to come across as like, well, I've been lying to you. This is who I really am yeah. <laughs> when I'm with these people. Yeah. One thing I notice is cursing. I've noticed with people, like, sometimes you'll be with somebody who never, like, in some, certain contexts, never curses. And then in other contexts, they curse a lot. And it's just very, oh. it's very context specific. And it's not, and I'm like, I don't think that they're being fake. I just think in certain contexts, it just naturally, because you think of con- cursing as something that sort of becomes habitual. But I don't think it really does because some people... It, it, People really switch it on and off. Um, but on the other hand, I think some people love it when worlds collide. Um, and I think it's good to recognize that people have different as- attitudes toward it because some people really thrive on it and love mixing people up and, 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 and kind of forcing worlds to mix. So I just think it's a good thing to recognize that people have different views about it. For some people, it's, it's delightful and exciting. And for some people, it's really stressful. Yeah. And I think it's for people who in social situations are just like, oh, everyone's fine. Everyone can take care of themselves. Like my friend Nancy, she just has a personality where she's not neurotic and anxious. So she just doesn't worry if, about people talking to each other or mixing. She just assumes everybody's an adult and can handle it. And I think for her, worlds colliding would be much more fun mm-hmm. than for someone like me who tends to be more neurotic. Right. Because I guess part of the worlds colliding is it's stressful for you to be, like, as Henry was saying, like speaking in these different ways, like the different personas coming out. And then there's the stress of how do the people in these worlds interact with each other? Are they going to? Yes. Yeah. So there's sort of both sides of it. Can I ask you guys kind of like a a meta question about this? Do you feel like you are yourselves on this show? And when you hear people from different parts of your life who listen to the show, it makes you anxious that they're hearing a different version of you? Ooh, that's such an interesting question. I don't, but I've, I've thought about it. How about you, Elizabeth? Well, definitely for me, because this is more of a part of your professional life. Whereas for me, it's, it's much more... Um, tangential you know yeah right yeah so definitely for me having people in my work world listen to this they're hearing all of this stuff that they would never otherwise hear about my marriage and being a mom and all this stuff yeah so definitely I have a world's colliding uh situation happening but I just have had to say well that's you know that's the podcast Liz like going on over here um but it's a good question Henry because it it does cause me some sort of like oh gosh who's listening to this you know but you know I almost think it's a good spiritual exercise I've been thinking about just this thing it's because I think you just have to you cannot fake it like we you and I could not have faked this for a year like in the end you have to be yourself your yourself always right. peeps through and and I think that just sort of saying like I am going to just allow my my true self to come through and I'm just going to accept the fact that people are going to be exposed to this and make of it what they will it, I think it's helped me kind of, you know, my big thing is to be Gretchen, my first personal commandment. And right. I think doing things like this has helped me be Gretchen because I'm like, I, ha- I, I have to be comfortable with the fact that this is who I am and, and this is what people will see. And this is, I just, that that's what the reality is. Knowing that it's helped me sort of embrace myself in a different way because I know it's being seen because it gets broken down the worlds are colliding. And so there's, I don't know, for me, it's greater self-acceptance. And for the record, I'm glad you forced me to do the set visit. Oh, good. Are so, you in retrospect? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for that. It you was tons Henry. of fun for Henry and me. Yeah, you were very cool on set, Liz. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, thank very cool. you. 
Okay, Gretch, it is time for a listener question. And uh, last week we asked people to leave us voicemail questions, um, not just emails. But we love getting those voicemails. And I want to remind everyone that the number is 774-277-9336 or easier to remember, 77-HAPPY-336. And we do, in fact, have a voice uh, mail this week from Mariah. Hi, Gretchen and Liz. I was hoping you could help me with a happier marriage. I am a questioner married to a classic obliger. It's very important to me that the things that I want get done, and it's very important to my husband that the things that I want get done, which means that in our house it can look like I'm the only person getting my way. How can I get some help teasing what he really wants out of him so that I can help him make his desires come true, too? Thank you so much for your great advice. Bye. Wow, she sounds like a really, really nice person. Don't you think? I was going to say, talk about a good person to be married yeah. to. Like, I, like Mariah is yes. like, the, you know, she's a home run. Yeah. Yeah. That's really. Um, okay. So I have so many thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear them. I'm uh, dying to hear. Okay. So this is, this is a question that goes right to the four tendencies. So again, if you, if you want to um, read a little bit about the four tendencies or to, and to take the quiz that will tell you what your tendency is, if you're an upholder, a questioner, obliger, or rebel, you can go to happiercast.com slash quiz. But to jump into the question, so she's a questioner married to an obliger, and her question is showing something that is a very striking pattern related related to obligers. Now, obligers often feel like they are being exploited. And the fact is, they are being exploited. Mm-hmm. Upholders, questioners, and rebels will all take advantage of the obliger tendency. And Mariah is absolutely, I think, dead on with thinking, how do I make sure that I don't even inadvertently exploit my husband's obliger tendency to make sure that everything I get done and like not to acknowledge the fact that he has his own desires that need to be met. And so because it is that is something that happens to obligers. So it's a very important thing to keep in mind. And um, and so how do you help an obliger meet their own inner expectations for themselves? That's a hugely important question, whether you're the obliger or like as in Mariah's case, her husband's the obliger. So the key element is outer accountability. So whatever it is that that obliger wants, there has to be outer accountability put into place. And maybe Mariah is the person who's going to provide outer accountability, or maybe there's other forms of accountability that would have to be built into the system to make sure that he gets the things that he wants for himself as well. Well, and beyond that, it sounds like he's not even expressing what he wants. So it sounds like maybe she needs some sort of ritual like you know, the first day of every month, it's like, well, what am I hoping to accomplish this month? So she even knows, okay, he's trying to jog more or whatever it is. And so she can create those outer accountabilities. I mean, if, if the person isn't saying what they even want to achieve, right. you don't even know where to begin. Right. And so that's a, and that you, it's such an important point, which is, and this comes up mostly with upholders and obligers, which is that it's very important to articulate inner expectations. It's important for upholders to articulate inner expectations because once they're articulated, they have equal force. So like I, I had no problem meeting the outer expectation of going to law school when I didn't know that I wanted to be a writer. But once I articulated that inner expectation, I was able to pursue it because once it was in my mind, I could, it had equal weight. 
But for obligers, sometimes, like you say, it's like drowned out. The weight of outer expectations just overpowers even knowing what those inner expectations are. So you're absolutely right. The first step is, what is the inner expectation? So let's just make up an example to like, so we're not talking in abstraction. So let's say that she sat down with her husband and he was like, well, you know what I would really like to do? I really should exercise. You know, my doctor's telling me to exercise and I know I would feel better. And in college, I, you know, when I was on the tennis team, I got a lot of exercise and I did feel better. And so that's something I really want. Okay, so he's got an inner expectation of exercising more. So the question is, what is the form of outer accountability? And that's where she can really come into being useful. Maybe she's the one who's every day going to be like, hey, honey, did you go to the gym? For a lot of obligers, that's enough. That someone's saying, did you do it? Or she could say something like, maybe you need to take sign up for a class or work out with a trainer. And he might say, but I, you know, we don't need to spend that kind of money on me. And she could say, no. look, nothing is more important to me than your health. I need you to be there for me. You know, mm. I, I want you to be healthy and this is a good place for us to spend our money. Like I would rather spend it on a trainer now than like heart surgery later. And so let's do it. And so then it's like, okay, th I'm, this is my outer expectation um, that I'm putting on you that I want you to exercise. And then I'm going to think, and then there's going to be, and then you're going to work out with a trainer and that's going to be a form of outer expectation. So I'm expecting you to do it. The trainer's expecting you to show up. That's going to be outer accountability. Or there can, sometimes um, obligers come up with like funny ways to do it where it might be something like, um, uh, okay, she loves to, um, let's say, she loves to exercise, but he doesn't like to exercise. So you'd work out a deal where he can, she, she can only exercise on a day that he exercises. So if he's not exercising, mm. then she can't exercise. And so, okay, well, they're going to, that, that's a form of accountability. Um, or, you know, th there's a million things that you can do once you realize that the accountability is necessary. So you're right. The first step is to identify what is the inner expectation. And then the second step is how do we build on the outer accountability, whether it's provided by Mariah. A lot of times people who are not obligers don't like to provide accountability because it can be a lot of work, mm. but there are other systems to put into place. And so... Well, it sounds like she would be willing to do the work because she's very thoughtful. Yes, and but it's over and over obligers will say like, well, I've asked my husband to, to say to me, like, you know, did you go to the gym today? And he's like, why should I like and because the question is like, well, why should I? And the answer is because an obliger needs accountability. So that's a good reason. So mm -hmm. um, but I think she's really wise to think about it because when obligers eventually obligers can fall into obliger rebellion if if they always feel like they're meeting outer expectations and the inner expectations are never getting met. And so it's really, really smart if you're thinking about the long-term happiness of your marital partner to be thinking about how do we make sure that the things that they want get done too. So I hope Mariah lets us know, yes. Gretch, what how this goes. Okay, Gretch, you are up with a happiness demerit. What is your demerit this week? This is a demerit that I deserve this year and I deserve for several of the past years. So I live near Central Park, and um, in the springtime, there are these beautiful magnolia trees that are just covered in blossoms, and there's this whole stand of, of uh, cherry blossom trees. It's just breathtaking. And every year, I'm like, oh, it's springtime. I'm going to walk in the park and go look at the beautiful <laughs> blooming trees. And then, like, you know, I, four out of the last five years, I didn't go. And then like we had a big frost. And so like a lot of these things just sort of died overnight. And so, um, but I, but I wasn't going, why didn't I go? I mean, on any day I could have just said, oh, I'm going to go on a little break from work and just go out, look at them. They're beautiful. 
And then, and then I see that they're gone and I feel like, oh my gosh, you know, spring is come and gone again and I miss the blooming trees. So that's it? They're just gone? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow, that was a short window. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing is also, you don't know how long they're going to be. It also, like a big right. wind, you know, sometimes they're, sometimes they're in full, beautiful bloom for a long time and sometimes there's some kind of weather condition that cuts it short. This so, reminds me of my demerit for the blood moon that I yes. cannot go out and look at. yes. Yeah, but the blood moon was one night thing. You missed it that one night. This is like, I could have gone anytime, yeah. probably for a week and, you know, gone and done it. Yeah, maybe you should think of it as next year, like, oh, Barnaby will enjoy seeing this. Yeah. And he'll do it for Barnaby. If not for you, do it for Barnaby. That's a very obliger thing. Could do that. Or he could just say, like, I know I'll regret it later if I don't do it. So I should do it now mm -hmm. because later on I'll, I'll feel bad about it. And, uh, it's just like with the doing something for leap day, the anticipation of knowing mm -hmm. that I was teeing myself up for a demerit made me think like, I mm -hmm. really need to rise to this occasion. Maybe next year I'll be like, I don't want to give myself another demerit for the same lame, lazy behavior. <laughs> this year I'm going to go. So anyway, take us up to a, to a happier place than me missing the flowers and the flowering trees. Um, yeah, well, Gretch, my gold star this week goes to Adam, my husband. Uh, now, as we have discussed, I was just in New York for five weeks. I only came home twice for two weekends. So I really was gone for a long time. And Adam, as a result, was really an only parent during that whole time. I mean, he had to do everything, you know, he had to get Jack up and himself ready every morning, get him to school on time, you know, put him to bed every night, do, you know, all the things that normally we, we share, mm -hmm. he had full responsibility. And um, I just want to give him a gold star because he did it with such grace. Like he did not complain about it one time. Oh, that's nice. If ever I asked him, like, you know, is it really hard? He would say, no, it's fine. We're getting a lot of Jack daddy time. Oh, it's great. That's nice. Um, yeah, he, I mean, I think he enjoyed it, although I know it was a lot of stress and work, uh, just because Adam's been working a lot. So he's been having a lot of nights where he, he'd put um, Jack to bed, and then he'd work for till three in the morning. Or oh, something, my gosh. And then he'd get Ugh. up at, you know, 645 to have to get him to school. And as we know, Adam's not a morning person. Yeah. So <laughs> um, he really took on a lot um, without complaint. So I really appreciated it because I was working so much that if I had felt at home like he was unhappy or stressed out yeah. or, you know, feeling taxed, it would have just added to, to my sort of mental brain drain. Yeah. But instead, I felt like, oh, everything's great at home. Jack is great. He and Adam are happy. Um, I mean, of course, thank goodness we had our nanny Cynthia there backing all this up. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, Adam just... I, you know, he always does a lot, but usually yeah. I'm there to do, you yeah. know, roughly half of it. So um, big gold star to Adam for stepping up, for just being a great husband, supporting me and what I was doing. And also, um, you know, just just being actually seeing it as a benefit that he got to have extra jack time. Yeah, no, that's nice. It's like it's uh, it's a double gold star. One for doing it. And another for like doing it in a way so that you had a good feeling about it instead of feeling like feeling a lot of anxiety about it. That's that's yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, what and a good as star. a result, um, Jack was sleeping with Adam every night. Um, mm. So now he's still in that. So we've got our family bed going for the time <laughs> being. So that's very cozy. Oh, gold stars. 
And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Stop amassing excessive amounts of something. Let us know if you tried it and what you were amassing and how it worked for you to stop amassing it. Thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky, who also provided insights into worlds <laughs> colliding. Uh, and thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer from Panoply. We love to hear from listeners. Please contact us. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Or email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you'd like to get my monthly newsletter where I have highlights from my blog and from this podcast and a bunch of other stuff, um, just text me at 66866 and follow the prompts and you'll be signed up. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. <laughs>